Support for this episode of I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere is brought to you by MX Publishing, with the largest catalog of new Sherlock Holmes books in the world. New novels, biographies, graphic novels, and short story collections about Sherlock Holmes. Find them at mxpublishing.com. And by the Wes Express, the premier publisher of books about Sherlock Holmes and his world. Find them online at wessexpress.com. And by Dan Andriaco's latest Sebastian McCabe, Jeff Cody series. The latest title, No Ghosts Need Apply, is now available. Find out more at danandriaco.com. I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, Episode 229, Observations by Gaslight. I hear of Sherlock everywhere since you became astronomer. In a world where it's always 1895, comes I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, a podcast for devotees of Mr. Sherlock Holmes, the world's first unofficial consulting detective. I've heard of you before. You're Holmes the meddler, Holmes the busybody, Holmes the Scotland Yard jacket office. <laughs> the game's afoot as we discuss goings-on in the world of Sherlock Holmes enthusiasts, the bigger streeter regulars, and popular culture related to the great detective. As we go to press, sensational developments have been reported. So join your hosts, Scott Monty and Bert Walder, as they talk about what's new in the world of Sherlock Holmes. You couldn't have come at a better time! Hello there, and welcome to I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, the first podcast for Sherlock Holmes devotees where it's always 1895. I'm Scott Monty. I'm Bert Wolder. And Bert, are you ready to be observed today? I am. I am. I'm wearing my usual yellow ribbon around my forehead so that I can stand out against the crowd and my purple socks. So I'm all set. Perfect. It's like a Where's Waldo for podcasting. <laughs> Where's Walder? <Yeah>. Indeed. <laughs> Where's Walder? <laughs> We're going to go with that. Well, this is episode 229, and if you would like the show notes for this episode, that means they are available at ihose.co slash ihose229, all lowercase. That'll get you to the ihearofsherlock.com website, where you can find all kinds of things, uh, news, updates, certainly how to get in touch with us on social media, and uh, the ability to... Go through and look at back episodes of our show. We are now rounding the corner, finishing up our 15th season of I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere. We'll be back in 2022 with season 16, but not before we have two more episodes for you for the end of this year. So stay tuned for those and make sure you take a look. I should also note that we are planning something special for the end of the year for our Patreon supporters. So if you do not yet support our show for as little as a dollar an episode, you can do that uh, by going to our website and following the Become a Patron button. And you can have in on this little secret that we're only giving out to our Patreon supporters. So thank you for that. Lindsay Fay, BSI, is the author of six critically acclaimed books, The Paragon Hotel, Jane Steele, which was nominated for an Edgar for Best Novel, 
Dust and Shadow, a Sherlock Holmes pastiche. The Gods of Gotham, also Edgar-nominated. Seven for a Secret, and The Fatal Flame. She's published numerous short stories featuring the Sherlock Holmes character, several of which were collected in 2017's The Whole Art of Detection. She lives in Queens and has been here on I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere three times before. Lindsay Fay, welcome back to I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere. I feel very welcome. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. it had... I am always delighted to chat with you. Oh, you're very sweet. Well, it's been too long. The last time you were with us here was on episode 119. Oh my gosh, that's over a hundred episodes ago. Good God! I know. Well, well, we'll have. Goodness. Well, we must rectify that immediately. Uh, yes, we we are bringing bringing it up to speed. You were here also with us on episode. As, as my as my dad uh, as my dad says, immediately if not sooner. If, if not sooner, <laughs> we can do that. We can do sooner than immediate. We can do yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, episode mm -hmm. one hundred nine yeah. was uh, when you joined us with Ashley Polisek and talked about uh, behind the canonical screen, that book that uh, the two of you edited based on the BSI excursion in Los Angeles. And I think prior to that, oh yes, you joined us for Sherlockian Jeopardy on episode seventy, which was a lot of fun. <laughs> yes, and I've been a clue on actual Jeopardy. So you were. Yeah, that's a nice plan. Yes, I was. What was what was uh, the answer? Uh, the clue was this person wrote the blah 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 year. It's been quite some time. Uh, uh, Dust and shadow, and uh, and uh, I was the answer. And people, oh. my phone exploded. <laughs> my phone literally blew up because <laughs> people were just like, oh, my God, I'm watching Jeopardy and you're a clue on Jeopardy. And I was like, oh, well. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. Have expected. you ever been a, a crossword puzzle uh, clue or answer? No. no, that would be even more. Bert, yeah. I, well, see, you've got something to look forward to now. I've, I've been a jumble. Yes. Does that count? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you've been in a jumble yes, since does. about 1987. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bert, that's rude. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, Lindsay, you are here to talk with us about observations by Gaslight, stories from the world of Sherlock Holmes. Now, this is a new book. It's being released in early December by our friends at Mysterious Press. That's an imprint of Pensler yes. Publishers, Otto Pensler, of course, a long-standing friend of everyone on this show and of the show as well. So but tell us a little bit about where you came up with the idea of another Sherlock Holmes book. Well, I think that the easiest way to describe it is that um, I had already done I had already done traditional Watson voice. And I had already done as best I could approximate, like, Holmes' voice. There's only two cases in the canon in which, you know, like, Holmes actually narrates them himself and he does a terrible job at it. So I had to, <laughs> I had to sort of, like, you know, work my way around that. Um, but I think that ultimately it was just that I couldn't, I couldn't really stop writing Sherlock Holmes stories. I'm almost constantly writing Sherlock Holmes stories. And, um... I just love doing it. So 
what I figured out was um, was a better idea for me as like a as like an author who had had more practice at um, different narrative voices was that I would take particular characters from the Sherlock Holmes canon and make each one of them narrators of their own very long short story. So while it's technically short stories and not novellas, there's only like, I think seven of them in the book. So um, they're all like pretty large short stories and people like uh, Wiggins, Mrs. Hudson, Irene Adler, you know, Lestrade, people who are beloved characters who I got to invent um, particular voices for if they are doing their own job narrating. And additionally, an extra hat trick I threw into the ring for myself because apparently I'm a glutton for punishment <laughs> <laughs> was that it's entirely epistolatory. So, uh, wait, wait, you can't it, use big words like that around here and get away with it. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Especially when I mispronounce them. I think epistolary is actually the way one um, says that. So it, it's all uh, diary entries, letters, telegrams, Etc. Because apparently, I I decided that that needed to happen too. So Thanks. I don't know. It was it was a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> but it, but it but it was very satisfying when I you know like finally got through it and auto approved of it. Of course. But I but always enjoy things when auto like approves of them, and sure. I'm like, oh yeah. I, I guess I, I guess I worked hard on that then. <clears throat> it's, a, it's such a great idea. You know, every so often, uh, you know, we'll find a book and there's been so much done about Sherlock Holmes and you get to the idea, gee, you know, there's, there's really no, no new approach anymore, but this is really new and it's really interesting. And, and, you know, you carry it off so well, it's, um, Oh, thank the, you. The lo- did you get, a, the, did you guys get, uh, advanced copies? Of course, oh, no, we did. I have no, no, I haven't read it. No, uh, <laughs> yes, yes, I'm well, holding, I'm thanks. holding my advanced copy right here, and and you know, the well, I'm very, thing, very glad you think so because of the yeah. fact that like it, it is kind of, it is kind of weird to like jump around in that many narrative voices. So thank you very much. Yeah, but you know, the lovely thing is the framework. And so we're not giving too much away to the reader who, before they even get into the book, will be reading a note from the fellow who organized all this. And of course, it's Wiggins, who Mm -hmm. now we find Wiggins, he's a solicitor. And he says, "Um, you you know, I've taken it upon myself, he says, to collect other people's accounts of the man. Some were easy to come by and others were not. And this has taken me years to complete. But in each case, he says, I asked for a favorite memory, a shared adventure, and for that person to mm-hmm. consult any personal documents they retained and then tell the tale in their own way. And and it's just mm-hmm. lovely. And so in that fashion, we uh, have the perspective of Sherlock Holmes by 
Irene Adler, by Wiggins himself, by Lestrade, by Hopkins, by Lomax, and by Mrs. Hudson. It's really um, a great idea. But I wanted to ask you, in addition to praising the work here, and you mentioned this a minute ago when you talked about Otto, your dedication is, this collection is dedicated to Otto Penzler, who's been my hero throughout the process. Yeah, he was very encouraging to me, like, uh, when I felt like it was just, you know, never going to work. And additionally, feeling like it was never going to work, but also, you know, just going through a lot of, like, uh, personal distress regarding the pandemic and personal matters and, uh, and you know, a newfound seizure disorder. So I was deeply unhappy, like, throughout most of the time that I was, like, uh, working on this and, like, trying to get everything into him on time. And he was never anything but, you know, encouraging and, uh, oh, and that's very kind. Lovely. So that's what, well, Otto, so I and Otto, appreciated that. in addition to being a great friend and a great man, Otto is also a publishing genius, so it's great that this is coming out from the uh, Mysterious Press. On December 7th, by the way. Oh, I'm very glad. A yes. date which will and, live in infamy. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yes, yeah, I'm very gratified that uh, that it uh, ended up being in Otto's hands because of the fact that like, I can't think of anybody who has been more sort of like constantly supportive and um, being like, are you okay? Are you okay right now? How about right now? So, so, of, so of all the um, of all the characters you put on the page here, all these narrative voices, uh, are you particularly fond of one over the other? I haven't thought about that before. I actually quite like I quite like the Wiggins chapter. I think hmm. mostly because of the fact that I've always I've always had this personal theory that uh, so Sherlock Holmes asked for a ridiculously large reward. I believe in, is it in the Priory School? That's right. Yeah. I should, yeah. 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 He asked for a stupidly large reward and uh, has his pocket and says, I'm a poor man, which is clearly not the case. And I've always had this sort of like uh, headcanon that all of that ridiculous amount of money, which is like a ridiculous amount of money, um, was all to send. I've I've mentioned this in other like uh, stories before, but I've always thought that it was to send the irregulars all to school and mm-hmm. get them an education mm-hmm. at the Priory School. <laughs> well, not at the no. <laughs> Get him out of the but city. I always, I always <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I always did sort of think that uh, that he demanded that ridiculous amount of cash because of the fact that um, that he wanted he wanted all of the shoeless irregulars who he was constantly employing to um to get an education and to like end up uh well if end if, up independent and, yeah if that's the you know, case with enough money for cheese sandwiches 
But if, <laughs> yeah, if if you got him off the streets and into school, then what was he to do for all of the information he needed at that point? The the, the role that the irregular served. How how did he? Uh, how would he have filled that gap? Oh, I'm sure he just kept hiring more. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, okay. younger and younger ones and then just be like, oh, well, now you're uh, nine years old and shoeless. Pretty sure you could <laughs> use some information. Uh, I'm pretty sure you could use some cash and I'm pretty sure I could use some information. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure yeah. he just kept the same system going. <laughs> Yeah, um, but that's well, again just my personal opinion. Well, it's a lovely idea, and and of course we find Wiggins at this point as a successful solicitor, which is wonderful. He's also he also has a first name, <laughs> which is fun. But the lovely one of the lovely things about the Wiggins case here is that we actually get to see inside. Holmes lodgings before he gets to Baker Street. We get to see through Wiggins' eyes Montague Street. Oh yeah, that actually was a that was a that was a big component for me. You know, I at the same time that I want to provide like interesting clues and interesting deductions and interesting, you know, factoids and stuff, Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes just sort of, you know, like rattles off <laughs> like as much as I enjoyed doing that. Um I think that I think that what I'm more invested in is the fact that uh, he's actually just a very, very strange person who pretty much has only a few people that he connects with. And it's always interesting when he connects with those people. And so I always try to write about those aspects of the characters, you know? Yeah. So you mentioned before, Lindsay, of you, you're always being inspired to write Sherlock Holmes stories. You always seem to have a Sherlock Holmes story on the brain. Are you, do you find yourself yeah, at more? Least halfway up my sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that could be an affliction. It could be a blessing. Um, and, and certainly for the rest of us, you've turned it into a blessing. But when, when you well, think you. about being driven by all of these ideas. Are your ideas more character-driven or are they more plot-driven? They're very much more character-driven. As a matter of fact, I would go so far as to say that I have never written anything that was not character being served by the plot as opposed to the other way around. Mm. I mean, like, even back in the day when I mean, that's been a while now, but like when I wrote Dust and Shadow, which sort of started this whole ridiculous thing, <laughs> I um, like uh, the fact that Sherlock Holmes couldn't figure it out and uh, and it took that long for him to like reach any conclusions. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, ultimately, like uh, if if you have if you have a protagonist, then um, put them through hell and make them overcome it, <laughs> which is not particularly fair. But it is definitely what I do to uh, Sherlock Holmes. There are occasional like 
lighthearted, lighthearted stories in um, both of my collections. However, I think the more meaningful ones to me are the ones where he's like, I have no idea what to do. And <laughs> that's much more interesting to me than uh, a Sherlock Holmes who always knows what to do because that's not the way he is in the canon either. I mean, in the canon, there are definitely times where Sherlock Holmes is like, uh, 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 <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to do. And either relies on Watson or relies on, mostly relies on Watson or, you know, like just stands there like completely at a loss for a moment or uh, relies very occasionally on someone else. Mostly he knows what to do, but sometimes he doesn't. Mm. And, uh, yeah. Well, that's, it's one of the lovely things about this book because of course, Lindsay, you are, um, in addition to being a great writer, you know, you're also deeply experienced with the genre and the tropes of the mystery world. In fact, you've, you know, lectured and taught about that. And um, the one thing that defines a lot of uh, writing about the world of Sherlock Holmes is some people, some authors sort of bring the tropes to their writing table and they don't really get much past the tropes, you know, there needs to be some sort of a coffee pot scene early on. Holmes needs to do something amazing. Then some client is going to arrive. But there's there's really none of that in any of these stories. And in fact, there's some really charming things. So so one of the advantages that you have with this this uh, personal journal, personal writing format for Wiggins and Irene Adler and, and Lestrade and so on, is that from like the first word, from the first sentence, you really get a chance to have the character speak in that very unique way. And in fact, one of the fun things I, I found, one of the many fun things I found in the book is Lestrade, because when you get to Lestrade's section, what's his problem? His problem is he can't get started. <laughs> he, he doesn't know what to write. You know, he says, geez, this is this is really difficult. You know, I've got this blank page. Uh, you know, I'm not used to doing this. And it's really uh, charming. And it's a great way to get into the story. Well, thank you very much. Actually, um, yeah, the, the illustrated chapter is like, uh, well, it was, uh, how shall I put this? Um I wanted to give him a backstory that was worthy of the character because I think the character is often underestimated. And I think that one of the best jobs that any adaptation has done regarding Lestrade specifically was the Renata Holmes adaptation in which Colin Jeevens looks at Jeremy Brett and says, we're not jealous of you at Scotland Yard. We're very yeah. proud of you. And that always makes me all melty. So I wanted, and uh, and that's exactly the way it happens in the short story. And so I wanted to sort of like give illustrate a backstory that was like worthy of that. Well, you really did. You know, I mean, you you really created a great character and you gave him a well-defined first name, which is a great treat. But but the lovely thing, too, is the contrast with Hopkins, with Stanley Hopkins. So after the Lestrade story comes the Hopkins story. And what's Hopkins doing? He's sitting down and he's writing it's a thank pure, you letter. Pure, it's pure hero worship. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh, my. 
oh my god oh my god <laughs> he like he breathed he breathed the same air as me oh my god <laughs> yeah <laughs> thank you I did like yeah. the juxtaposition, the juxtaposition of those two, like story. Sorry, go on. <laughs> no, just, no. Uh, writing, writing, writing. Hopkins was uh, almost pure comedy, except for the fact that the case is pretty dark. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's but it's great. But Hopkins is sitting there writing a thank you letter to his mom for a pair of gloves. That's a good. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just love yep. that. Stick with us. We'll be back after this brief word from our sponsor. As we're getting near the holiday season, you know our friends from MX Publishing have all kinds of books to offer. However, the last order date to get your books in time for the holidays was October 31st. So if by chance you miss this deadline, just know two things. One, you can certainly get all of MX Publishing's titles from other sites like Amazon and Barnes and Noble. But even more interesting, there are audiobook collections available from MX Publishing. So you can get your books delivered electronically and still enjoy them in time for the holidays. You've got titles such as Memoirs from Mrs. Hudson's Kitchen by Wendy Heyman Marsaw. Sherlock Holmes and the Cornwall Affair by Joanna Reiki. Sherlock and Irene by Chris Chan. And many, many more titles there available for you if you like to have some entertainment between your ears. And as a listener of I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, we are sure that you do. So just get on over to mxpublishing.com and check out the audiobook collections today. It it seems to me, you know, you, you've hit on some of the, the more popular characters, Irene Adler, uh, Inspector Lestrade, Mrs. Hudson, and then you've pulled out these, these other non-traditional characters, some, you know, we don't hear about quite as much either in the canon or in pastiches uh, in general. And the, the, to me, those are the more interesting ones simply because we know less about them. So anything you feed us, anything any author feeds us really is just is, is gravy. Can can you talk a little bit, Lindsay, about uh, maybe the the pros and the cons of writing for the more filled out characters from the canon versus the side players and, and how you've approached that? Sure. So there's a very specific reason for this, um, which I, I don't know if that was the answer that you're looking for, but there's a very specific reason for this. Back in the day... Um, when I first started writing pastiches, uh, I was not under Lullenberg's copyright law allowed to write from a Watsonian or Sherlock Holmes perspective, uh, because those are both canonical. And, um, he actually extorted me for, uh, $10,000. Uh, when I first sold Dust and Shadow. Wow. So I started uh, I started using 
characters who were published after the copyright date had passed. And Lomax, the sub-librarian, who I think is like pretty adorable, and I really enjoy him. Lomax, <laughs> the sub-librarian, for example, um, was somebody who had been published after the date that I was required to, you know, like, I, I was required to adhere to a certain set of rules at the time before um, our friends um, Les Klinger and Laurie R. King did Free Sherlock and I was fully supportive in that venture and uh, probably like the only time I've ever gotten my actual face published in the New York Times. So yeah, we were all we were all really mad about it. And so um, that was like a big influence on what I was allowed to write. And I sort of wrote my way around things that I wasn't supposed to be doing. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. no, makes makes total sense. I mean, you know, creatively, you were kind of forced into one area. Legally, <laughs> you were kind of forced into one area. Yeah. And, and that's where the, where the creative juices uh, kind of sprang from. I mean, this is... It's it's actually maybe it was beneficial because you know suddenly you had to ultimately think, I would agree with you. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it's it, it, it's like the difference of being given paint by number versus a, a blank canvas. At least you you know where to start, right? And from there you can kind of mm-hmm. make it your own. Yeah, and I've always I've always sort of uh, felt like. Well, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of people who don't necessarily like enjoy the notion of um, somebody writing in the style of someone else in an imitative way. And I always really enjoyed that because before I was a writer, I was an actor. And so I was, I was trained you know, at, uh, at mimicry and accents and things like that. So it was always particularly fun for me, even if <laughs> I, I hesitate to tell the story, but it is, it is fairly funny. So <clears throat> when I, <laughs> when I ultimately decided that I was going to just sit down and finish, finish Dust and Shadow, it was specifically because I was working at a restaurant and it was the last restaurant job I ever had. And uh, there was a Borders, you remember this? Yeah. Vaguely, <laughs> yeah, across vaguely. The street. <laughs> vaguely, right across the street from the restaurant. And um, every time I was on like a break, I would walk over to the Borders and I would live through the mystery section. And specifically, I found um, I found a Sherlock Holmes pastiche that was literally like the most ridiculous and horrifying thing I had ever seen. <laughs> In which, <clears throat> and this is not kidding. In which Sherlock Holmes has to travel to Transylvania 
to get rid of vampires. And at the same time, there are all sorts of other things going on that were deeply unnecessary. And I looked at it and I was like, this is bad. (laughs) This is real bad. Also, it's just terribly bad. And, um, and then I decided, okay, well, at that particular time, I, uh, got a blessing in disguise really because I lost my job at that restaurant because that restaurant closed and I decided that while I had my six months unemployment I was going to write a better Sherlock Holmes story <laughs> so <laughs> I always I always had a, a bit of hubris when it came to that but especially because of the fact that I was an actor and I can kind of hear the voices in my head, you know? So I don't know. I don't know if that means that they're particularly any good. However, I, I can sort of hear them talking. So that was like a big part of it was that I was like, well, now you have no job. So you might as well finish that novel you've been working on. <laughs> yeah, well, I think Dustin Shadow was was widely recognized as having captured Watson's voice very accurately. That's not easy to do, you know. And and I think your, as you say, your background in acting, uh, you know, you have an ear mm-hmm. for these things. You certainly have, know your Sherlock Holmes canon. Uh, that helps. <laughs> um, what, as you were as you were fine tuning that, and and as you 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 know approach all of your stories, what do you use to kind of uh, to to stress test the voice that you've captured in your writing? Anybody who knows anything about self editing, I mean, like I I have only ever I have only ever adapted techniques from my absolute favorite English teacher ever to exist. His name is Jim Lamont and he was my high school AP English teacher. And, um, and what you have to do in order to like test out what you've written and see whether it actually works is read it out loud. That's one of the things. That's the most important one. Yeah. If you're going to if you're going to like accomplish anything, then reading it out loud is, is the biggest deal. Um, also, second thing, no matter how much you might enjoy your particular, you know, like second draft after you've read it out loud, cut ten percent of it. At least. If you end up cutting more, fine, but cut 10% of it because you don't need that many words. Mm. <laughs> it's true. Too many words, most of it. Yeah. There's also something that I have to do, but this might be particular to me in my writing style, which is 
absolutely not meant to be foisted on other writers who are trying to do a great descriptive job. However, I have to declare war on adjectives. So there's an <laughs> entire draft that I do, which is... I used to... I used to actually do Facebook updates and like tweets about this, but I I would hashtag it word murder. <laughs> <laughs> and word and word murder was almost always actually. <laughs> so there's that too. It's it's necessary, you know, to, oh. to be the slasher sometimes. Mm-hmm. The Shropshire slasher. slasher. Sure. Well, well you've you know yeah. you this this book, Observations by Gaslight, Stories in the World of Sherlock Holmes, you know, you've done an enormous amount of work on it, and you've brought some terrific characters to life. But boy, the one character that you created, really created out of sort of nothing, is is and brilliantly is, I'm curious if, if you think we might see more of him in, uh, in future stories. And that's, of course, Lomax. And Lomax oh, is I one of these... Like one of these characters, Lomax is one of these characters when Watson, not not to get too far off the point, but when Watson has to do something, he consults his friend Lomax, some librarian. And, of course, everybody's eyes go up and say, hey, where'd this that's guy from, come from? That's from illustrious client, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so people say to themselves, gee, where'd this guy come from? And, uh, you know, you've uh, created quite a character in Lomax. So actually, Lomax was one of the first of the characters in this particular collection to exist um, many years ago, actually, because of the fact that um, our mutual friend, Otto Pensler, publishes um, every year biblio mysteries and he said hey Lindsay, do you want to write a biblio mystery and i said sure that sounds good and he said because he's auto and he's adorable he was like do you even know what a biblio mystery is and i was like <laughs> yeah it's yeah it's a mystery centered around a book and he was like how are you the only person to have figured that out and I was like, because I can parse Latin. <laughs> <laughs> and it was very cute. And uh, and he was like, okay, great. So in one of uh, in one of Otto's um, like self published holiday, you know, offerings, the Gospel of Shiva had like already existed. So. Um, he had asked me, excuse me, to write a Biblia mystery. And I said, sure. So I figured if it's going to be a book, if it's going to be a short story about writing, then I might as well use the most obscure canonical librarian I possibly could come up with. (laughs) (laughs) So so that's what happened. And uh, unfortunately, Otto ended up liking it. And I did like a two, three thousand words, like expanded version of what I had originally done. Yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Mm, absolutely. Well, you, you mentioned uh, narrators there. It makes me think of 
audiobooks, Lindsay. And, and if this were to become, if Observations by Gaslight were to have an audio version, and you think about the characters that are uh, busy writing their letters, their diaries, etc., Irene Adler and Wiggins and Lomax and Mrs. Hudson and Hopkins and Lestrade, do you have in your mind's eye an actor, a voice actor, or a, a Hollywood actor who might play each of these roles if they were given an opportunity to do an audio version? That's really hard because there are so many, like, it just, I haven't bothered to, like, count it at all, but it just goes, like, back and forth between different genders, doesn't it? Simon Vance is the person who, um, Simon Vance is fantastic. And he's the person who narrated the whole art of detection oh. and Dust in the Shadow. However, like, I don't know whether I would have anyone specific to, like, pick if it came down to voice casting because of the fact that, like, well, I certainly couldn't accomplish it. Theoretically, somebody who can do multiple, also kinds of British accents, because just because you have a British accent doesn't mean that you have one version of a British accent or a different version of a British accent. So it has to be somebody who's very good at accent work at the same time that I absolutely have no idea what gender they would be. (laughs) Yeah. Simon Vance was, um, he was absolutely wonderful at doing the whole area section. When I did the Timothy Wilde trilogy, a gentleman by the name of Stephen Boyer, with a PH, not a Y, or excuse me, a V. He was so good at doing the first two of the Timothy Wild trilogy that when somebody else took over because of the fact he got a Broadway gig, <laughs> so he was not he was not just quitting because he uh, wanted to quit, but he got a Broadway gig, and people yelled at me because of the fact that he wasn't narrating. The third wild trilogy, The Fatal Flame. I've been very, very lucky in having awesome voice actors. Well, that's fantastic. I'm, I'm sure we'll look forward to uh, the audio contribution as it uh, as it comes out here at some point. So, well, this is fantastic. Well, thank you very much. It's always lovely to chat with you. Absolutely. I appreciate the fact that you want to chat with me in the first place. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, this is a uh, this is another landmark uh, book for you, and we're very excited, and uh, we think our listeners will really enjoy it. The format works really well. And oh, uh, before we go, Lindsay, I wanted to ask you in the uh, in the Martha Hudson chapter. She she lists uh, a number of recipes as she's uh, jotting things down here. Have you tried those recipes out? Are those things that we can actually try in our own kitchens without danger to ourselves? Yes. <laughs> and, and is there any particular yes, recipe which you which you recommend that we try? Well, of course, um, that would ultimately I think that would depend on the on the type of day and the personal preference. I have I have tested them uh, multiple times, and I I don't think any of them are going to do any harm to anybody. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no stomachs were harmed in the making of this book. That's good. I like that. Yes, exactly. Well, Lindsay Fay, including my own. 
Yeah, well, that's we. You're still standing. You're talking to us, so that's uh, evidently reason enough to believe these are survivable. Lindsay Fay, yeah. author mm-hmm. of Observations by Gaslight: Stories from the World of Sherlock Holmes, available in early December from Mysterious Press and wherever you buy books. So make sure you check that out. Lindsay, thanks so much for joining us here again. And I hear of Sherlock everywhere. No, thank you for chatting with me. It's my pleasure. Lindsay's book is so timely because it's a great, obviously a great Christmas present for Sherlockians. But, you know, she's, it's also wonderful because of the originality of it. You know, she's created these characters who in some cases are just passing mentions in the world of Sherlock Holmes, giving them real depth on the page. In every story, Holmes is at the center and people's observations of him. You know, you would think to yourself, gee, wasn't Lestrade ever annoyed <laughs> more, more so than was it apparent? You know, what was he really thinking about Sherlock Holmes? And you get that here. And one of the lovely threads and themes throughout all these short stories is the friendship between Holmes and Watson and how important Watson is to Holmes. So it's a, it's a wonderful original um, original book. Indeed. And look, this is just another way of looking at what we already know in the canon, but simply from a different perspective. And I think that's what's so important. So often we get the perspective of Watson as the everyman, and we are thankful for that because it's easy to relate to someone like him. But occasionally it might be nice to look at it from the the eyes of someone else on the receiving end of some of those rebukes or on the receiving end of some of those, uh, those, those tricks and opportunities that Sherlock Holmes takes to get one step ahead of the other side. So this is a really creative way uh, to look at that and uh, just a really nice job done by Lindsay Fay. You've heard them on here before, and now they are back. It is the Sebastian McCabe Jeff Cody Mystery Series by Dan Andriaco. You've heard of the novels No Police Like Holmes, Holmes Sweet Holmes, The 1895 Murder, and more. Well, they're back on September 28th with the latest title, No Ghosts Need Apply. Sherlock Holmes, of course, said to Dr. Watson, the world is big enough for us, no ghosts need apply. But McCabe and Cody, well, they don't have a choice when a popular reality TV show comes to their native Erin, Ohio, to record a Halloween special about some entity that's disturbing the local gastropub known as the Speakeasy. What was expected to be some fun publicity for the pub turns into a nightmare after someone is shot to death one night in the same place and in the same way as Jackie O'Brien almost 100 years earlier. The police chief recognizes this is Mac and Jeff's kind of case, but they're forced to become virtual sleuths for most of the time when the restaurant and most businesses are shut down because of covid Before he solves the murder and a second homicide, Mac makes an embarrassing blunder 
in one lesser case and scores a great triumph in another. Make sure you check out No Ghosts Need Apply by Dan Andriaco at danandriaco.com today. You know what that means. It means it's time once again for everyone's favorite quiz show. That's right. It's Canonical Couplet, where we give you two lines of poetry that represent one of the Sherlock Holmes stories, and you need to figure out which one it is. If you were around these parts last time, you may recall that we gave you this clue. A client from the country. That was plain to see. How could he know his fate? was sealed at the Queen's Jubilee. Bert, do you know which story we are referring to with this couplet? Of course, that's Holmes's first case when he tells Watson about visiting Victor Trevor's home and there's a theft of the cook's favorite casserole. That's the glorious pot. Ouch. Ouch. I, um... I wish I had something kind to say. <laughs> so instead, I will say nothing at all. What do you, you, have, a, you have a wooden spoon? <laughs> wow. Well, once again, you've uh, you've, you've not done it. And, <laughs> oh uh, no. Yes, yes. Uh, and Eric Decker is once again comes to the rescue. Uh, he says, uh, "I've got it. I've got it. The answer to this week's canonical couplet is." It's dancing men. Hallelujah. It's dancing men. Every specimen. Tall, dark, blonde, and uh, tall, blonde, dark, and spry, rough and tough, and strong and mean. Uh-huh. Uh, or pardon me. I mean, the answer is the adventure of the dancing men. Oh. Yeah. I, I told Eric I would give it a shot to uh, put my best uh, It's Raining Men uh, parody in there, but clearly I. I did you're, neither. So you're you're very brave, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, the answer is, uh, of course, if if you're attempting something like this, if you're horrible at it, do it with gusto. I always say, and people won't notice the difference, or maybe they will, just at a louder volume. <laughs> well, uh, I always I I like instant gusto. That beef broth, instant just put, gusto. I haven't yeah, had that in years. In a cup of warm water, it's wonderful in, in winter. How about that? How about that? Well, uh, no, that, uh, your, your guess was, was off. Uh, Eric, of course, did recognize the, uh, the, the importance of the dancing men as the correct answer. And so what we will do here to ascertain who of all of our correct submissions gets it right is we will pull out the big prize wheel and give it a spin. Watching it go around and looking for Someone to pin it on. And it looks like it is number 32. And that means that is Nils Gampert. Nils, congratulations. Long time no see. Glad to have you back here. Uh, Thank you for that. We will have a prize in the mail, a copy of, I think it was Nicholas Meyer's uh, The Return of the Pharaoh off to you. So congratulations for that. 
And this time around, we will have a copy of Lindsay Fay's Observations by Gaslight available to uh, whoever wins. And this is your clue. The victims were a mile from shore and eminently sinkable. Should the universe be ruled by chance, it's really quite unthinkable. If you know the answer to this canonical couplet, put it in an email addressed to comment at IHearOfSherlock.com. If you are among all of the correct answers and we choose your name at random, you'll win. Good luck. All right. We've done it again. How is it possible? How is it possible? Absolutely amazing. (sighs) We do what we can. We do what we can. You know, we do need to address, though, a lot of the, some more of the mechanics and the back office things associated with these podcasts. For example, how are we going to be collecting late fees from the people who return the podcasts late? <laughs> we will give them exactly 100% back. Oh, good. Yeah. To all of our, all of our free listeners. Look, we do appreciate having all of these listeners, these thousands and thousands of listeners that regularly tune in here to I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere and our sister podcast, Trifles. Um, if you know someone else who needs to hear this, if you know people in your Sherlockian society that would do well by listening to our little audio adventures here, please share with them our website, our podcast, however you'd like to get it to them. Please let them know that we exist because you are the best way for us to get the news out. Well said, well said. Well, I believe uh, we are all out of news at this point, and uh, that means it uh, simply remains for me to say this is the sprightly observed Scott Monty. And I am the rarely seen Burt Wolder. And together we say... The games of foot. foot. (laughs) (laughs) The The games of foot. I'm afraid that in the pleasure of this conversation, I'm neglecting business of importance, which awaits me elsewhere. Thank you for listening. Please be sure to join us again for the next episode of I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, the first podcast dedicated to Sherlock Holmes. Goodbye, and good luck, and believe me to be, my dear fellow, very sincerely yours, Sherlock Holmes. 